Welcome to our Future Impact podcasts, hosted by Bristol Business School and Bristol Law School at UE Bristol. During the series, we aim to bring you cutting-edge research and talk to academics and practitioners about the real issues and future opportunities for businesses today. We'd love to hear what you think of the series and for you to comment on what we discuss. You can do that through our social media channels or by emailing fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk. We're joined today by two guests to talk about women in economics and the importance of representation. So I'm going to come first to Imi Vinning, who's going to tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, um, so my name is Imi Vinning and I studied economics at UE about graduated about three or four years ago, I think in 2019. Um, and my first year out of university, I actually worked at an investment management firm in Bristol and I worked in the operations department and I kind of realized what my interests were and pursued towards working and finding a position at a firm where I can align my core principles. And this is when I came across Cambridge Associates. So Cambridge Associates is a, um, I'd say a consult investment consultancy based in London, but they work primarily with clients who will better the world with the returns they make on their portfolio. So they work with endowments and charities and pensions. So not kind of making the rich richer, it's um, the good guys in the investment industry, should I say. Um, another part of Cambridge Associates that I, what I really loved about them is the push they put on women and how many, women they have in their senior roles um so i came across the company because i actually attended an event um a women in investment management event and the leadership there was mesmerizing and i kind of made it my mission to work for that firm and i actually applied five times before securing a role there so um yeah i'm super happy to be working there and i'm actually a part of the ca women chapter where i'm working on financial literacy programs for employees at the company I work at. And alongside of that, I've set up a company where I'm releasing content around education, around financial literacy and education on investing for women to make it more accessible for women. And yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Thanks, Amy, that's a big nutshell. Um, but yeah, brilliant. And what a a compliment to the company for you and employees to call them um, mesmerizing uh, senior leaders. So that's fantastic. Thank you. And now over to Daniela, um, who's going to introduce herself. Hi, uh, my name is Daniela Gabor. Um, I teach economics at UWE. And let me start by saying that I'm feeling very proud to, to hear Imi describe her career, with stellar career, um, particularly stellar because uh, she's built all that uh, during the pandemic. She was in my classroom as it were uh, three or four years ago, just before the pandemic. Um, and I teach economics, as I said, I teach uh, economics and macro finance. And uh, because we, this is a podcast about the role of women in economics, I have to say my full title. Sometimes I'm reluctant to say that because it comes across as a bit pompous, but there are very few women professors in economics. So my full title is professor of economics and macro finance. Uh, and there are very few women professors in economics for the same reason, which we will explore in some detail, that there are few women in, in uh, economics degrees and that there are relatively less women in finance and in the investment industry, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm very pleased to be here and to have a chat with uh, Amy. Thank you. 
Thanks, Daniela. So we've got some questions that we're going to ask you both. So um, first of all, why is it important to you to advocate for women to be more represented in economics? And Emilia, we come to you first for that one. Um, so I think gender equality has improved massively, especially in the UK, and women and men are have the same education and therefore we should have the same access to career opportunities and career progression so i think having women in senior lead in senior positions in very in positions that make a difference in the world provide a different lens to decision making and strategy of a company or a government or in school or in universities and it's important that we have that diversity um so for example in the field i work in in investment having more females invest their money i think i found a um a statistic so bmy mellon examined like global investment behaviors and attitude and they showed and it showed that women would invest more if the investment had a clear purpose and positive impact and much a majority of the money that's invested by women will have a positive impact on society and the environment. So the fact that women don't invest as much as men is a negative impact to our society. And that can be led to positions in the government. We could make better policies on um, in the horizon of the society, etc. So that's why I think it's really important that we should advocate the representation of women in economics and finance. Thanks, Amy. Daniela, same question to you. So what's the importance to you to advocate for women? Well, I mean, besides the very obvious case that you just heard, which is that the women become very articulate, and very interesting and very enthusiastic uh, participants in the labor market and hopefully correct some of the uh, misbehaviors in in the finance industry that we discussed a lot in uh, in my classroom. I think uh, from the point of view of a teacher, um, it is important in the first place to have a, a more equal representation. Simply because if you have classrooms like we typically have, and and not for for not trying to to have diversity, but if you have classrooms where uh, the, the gender distribution is skewed towards men. It, is, it, it reinforces or uh, existing uh, patterns, structural patterns in society that encourage men to speak more and, and somehow discourage women from getting involved uh, and, and, and speaking out. And, and this is a, an experience that is also personal to me when I uh, became a, an academic in the first few years. I was always shy in the sense that I thought I could only put my hand up and make a contribution in the conferences that I attended only if I knew the correct answer and I was sure that I knew the correct answer and I was sure that I knew the, the right question to ask. And then at some point I realized that basically the men who were in the same room with me and who were asking questions never asked themselves this question or, or some did, but not a lot of them. Uh, and then uh, the lesson that I took from that is first, that I now force myself to put my hand up, even if I don't have a well-formulated question or a well-formulated contribution in my head, uh, simply because I think um, it, it's important to be able to think on your feet and to kind of uh, try to liberate yourself from the constraints uh, of your childhood and the way you were taught to speak and, and when to intervene and how to intervene. 
um, and uh, and we try to do that in the in the classroom uh, um, in the sense of sometimes pressuring women. I think I, I it was interesting that Amy used the word pressure when she referred to her company, uh, and I sometimes feel the same way that I pressure the the young women in 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 the classroom to speak out because. In a sense, it's also like a muscle, you know, that you train. The more you train the muscle of speaking in public, the more the easier it becomes, uh, and the more uh, inhibitions disappear. And I speak that from from personal experience as somebody who trained her own muscle, and and from trying to do that with the with the women in the classroom. But if the distribution, the gender distribution in the classroom is skewed, women already have a they, they already have to climb a, a, a very steep mountain in the sense that from a childhood they might be socialized to be shyer and to be more uh, more uh, restrained in how they express themselves and then they have to in the classroom in economics they have to do that or to overcome that when in front of a large majority of male faces that stare at them so that or that i think it's important to to correct that and and we've tried in UE and not always successfully to recruit more women and maybe he has better tips for for us on how to do it and that that is i think the starting point and it, it, it kind of reverberates across you know different layers because the less women you have the relatively less women you have graduating from economics degrees and from finance degrees then the less they will be able to go into the labor market the more difficult it will be to go to the top and to to break what is called the the glass ceiling which Kind of keeps women at middle, uh, lower, and middle positions in in jobs. So yes, I could speak for, about this for for hours, and I just want to know that that doesn't apply just to women, but it's a, it applies also to to all sorts of ethnic minorities. And and I'm guess I guess you will come to that at some point. Yeah, we, we absolutely will. And Danielle, thank you. Thank you for your view there. And it's interesting. Um, and then the next question kind of follows on, I suppose, which is um, where are the gaps in diversity within economics? So, and, and Danielle, maybe suggesting that they actually go right back to sort of to childhood and that kind of area. But Imi, what are your thoughts on that? So uh, where are the gaps in diversity within economics? So I wanted to pick up on um, something that Daniela just said about how she um, encourages females in her classroom to kind of speak and now looking back at my times in Daniela's classroom I remember she used to pick on me sometimes and I always used to get annoyed like oh why like I don't know what to say like I'm embarrassed to say something but um, the reasoning behind that now it does it does make sense and it is it was like a very good um, way of giving me confidence to speak about something and most of the time when I, I remember when I actually said something or I spoke about a topic it it was okay like yeah I might have said something wrong but you only learn from your mistakes um but in the sense that where are the gaps in diversity within economics I think it does start right at the bottom um I remember at A levels and even before that I was never taught I was no one ever spoke to me about finance or economics or anything in that um regard and the only reason why I went into economics was because of so my parents went into a business and I kind of found my own interest in that. Um, thereafter, in university, I remember there's barely any females in my um, economics class. I didn't have any female classmates. It was always the males putting their hands up in every kind of group activity. I was always paired with a male or in a group of three of males. So um, it was very, very difficult to have a voice. Um, throughout university and it was because I was quite a shy individual and I was kind of figuring out myself at university it's 
as well and trying to come up with my own ideas and my own kind of thinking was quite difficult because you do feel pressure from all of these nails that are together and have all these like this confidence in their voice um and I also think that the education also starts off at home as well um I think especially with investing in finance the conversation should be open between all members of the family you kind of see especially in um, my household or in other households I know the father figure kind of takes on the conversation with the son about you know investing read the financial times etc but it's what I try what I'm trying to do is change the narrative around this so it's not that we should be reading the financial times every morning and you know picking out stocks picking out it's it's not as intense and convoluted as that it's something so much more simple and it should be a fun conversation at home rather than this really intense boring kind of unnecessary um yeah unnecessary um idea of what finance is I suppose it's it's actually fundamental I suppose most people have a bank account right so actually it's something that's applicable to everybody that we should all take an interest in. But um, Daniela, what are your thoughts on that same question? Well, I mean, just to just to disagree a little bit with Amy, because that's one of the messages that I give my students in the classroom is that you should read the Financial Times every morning, because if you want to understand society and how it functions, if you want to understand what I think is the oversized role in finance in our societies, the oversized role of the political power that finance holds, in our societies, uh, there is no better place to start and end than the Financial Times. And if we discuss this at home as much as, we, as in the classroom, then I think we would all be better informed. And you know, knowledge is power, understanding. And I would go a little bit beyond what, what Timmy does uh, and argues to say, well, for me, it's not only about learning how to invest and allocate your own wealth to the appropriate uh, portfolio, right? Because we have to remember that some of us are likely to have income to allocate to portfolios. Uh, some of us don't because uh, we live in societies that are very unequal and access to wealth and access to assets is very unequally distributed as well. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean that if you don't have assets, you shouldn't read the Financial Times, quite the opposite. I think by reading the Financial Times, you understand how, um, how things work. Um, and... Uh, I, I wouldn't only make families responsible. I think it's great if this can be discussed in, in the family. And in a sense, my, my personal experience resonates with yours, Amy, because my father was an accountant uh, and my, well, well, he's retired now. And my mom was a teacher and I ended up teaching finance, which is, uh, uh, it shows you how, what a rebellious uh, kid I was. Um, but I think in, it's also the, the responsibility of the education system, right, to ensure that it kind of moves away from the structural reinforcement of gender and race dynamics. Because what children see, what young women see, mostly is white men uh, as professors, white men as the voices that, that explain and describe and, and kind of frame narratives. And this is why I'm, I was so pleased that Tim is doing so well, because it's, it's, it's not only because she's very clever and because she's made very quick progress, but also because we need different voices and we need voices and we need faces that are not just white men in their 50s and 60s. And I'm saying this as a white voice in, in my 40s, but uh, we need to go beyond that because 
it's very difficult to inspire people otherwise. And, and I think something else is important in, in what Timmy said, which is that this sounds, for, for, for many, this sounds like a boring conversation. Like talking about finance and talking about the political economy of finance and, and what I call the intersection between what the government does and what the financial sector does, which is macrofinance, they, these sound very boring at the beginning, but you can make them interesting. And this is what I try. You can make them interesting precisely because there is a, a, a political dynamic behind it and because it, it influences our daily lives in a, a myriad of ways, including in the gender representation in economics, for example. So yes, uh, this is my plea to all your listeners is please read the Financial Times every, more, uh, every morning. Actually, okay. a little tip on that. Um, I was just going to say the Financial Times has a 10 minute briefing every morning, which I, because at the beginning when, because I was interested in the subject, but I found reading really intense. Um, so I listened to the Financial Times briefing, which is a 10 minute podcast every morning on Spotify and it sums up everything that's going on in the world. And you can pick parts of that podcast that you're more interested in. And I've found that a good way to actually get into what's going on in the world and reading the Financial Times and picking out certain topics that I'm more interested in. Brilliant. They can listen to that podcast after they've listened to this one, so it works quite well. Um, I was going to say other papers are available, but I'm actually not sure that there is an equivalent to the Financial Times, so <laughs> maybe they should be paying us a subscription. Um, <clears throat> so next question. And I suppose you both touched on this a little bit anyway, but in your opinions, what can be done to overcome this the, the gaps that we've talked about and, and the underrepresentation. Um, so similar to what Daniela said, um, there should be more greater representation of women in senior roles, in professor roles, in um, roles where young girls can see on the TV like, I want to be that woman. I want. I look up to her because I remember when I was growing up, I didn't have any of that. And similar to Daniela, my mom was a teacher and my dad worked in sales and engineering, so not no kind of representation at all of what I'm supposed to be or how what difference in the world that I can make so if we have more representation then younger girls can look up to these people on the tv and be like I want to be this woman one day or if they go into school or if they go into university they'll be able to look up at their lecturers and be like I want to be just as academically smart as this person and and I think that's really really important um because what we see is what we take in and that's who we want to become one day. So um, yeah, the representation is really, really important. And it is great to see that companies have started to do this. There's more CEOs of, as women, um, but there is still a lack of ethnic diversity um, that we still need to overcome. But the gender equality is something that's a pressing issue in many firms and many places in the industry so hopefully we are going down the right direction but there is still a long long way to go and having conversations like this also is a really really excellent thing um, and when I set up my company She Invests I found so many females on um, social media that are pushing for the same kind of mission and the same goal so it's the narrative is changing but it's going to take some time. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. And it's interesting you mentioned sort of social media and how that's kind of um, 
changed how people view things or how people are influenced. So I wonder if yeah, these kinds of uh, role models and that kind of thing needs, need to adapt to those different um, channels, I suppose, really. Daniela, what about you? Well, I mean, I think the issue of representation is very important, and I would I would only add to that uh, the responsibility of uh, government directly and the responsibility of educators like myself. And in terms of the responsibility of the government, there can be uh, no better use of public funding that I can think of. I mean, I can think of many ways in which we can uh, add more public funding to things, but public funding to make sure that we create a, a framework of incentives and rewards that uh, channels women's interest or young women's interest or kids uh, into studying economics and then accompanying them into the labor market. Uh, I think that would be... Um, that would be very important to, to make sure that we have programs at, at school level, at, at university level that basically support more women and try to, to, to correct what is a structural legacy of patriarchal uh, societies, right? I mean, it's, it's no coincidence that there are less women in this kind of so-called hard sciences and economics is not a hard science, but it is perceived as a, as a hard science because women think it's all about math. It's, 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 not, it's not at all only about math, but that's the perception. And so to correct that, to correct a structural imbalance from a system that, syste that systematically rewards men and systematically, in a sense, discourages women from participating, the government has an important role to, to do that. You can't, we can't just leave it to the family at home or we can't just leave it to the young women who are doing uh, a better uh, job of uh, uh, re representation and changing narratives. There has to be also a responsibility for the government directly in terms of putting resources into it. And then there has to be responsibility and, and more work to be done uh, from people like myself who are teaching econo economists or academics in economics, teaching in the classroom. And we have to have a, a, a kind of multi-layered strategy of dealing with that that involves um, not only trying to, to encourage more women to participate, as uh, we just described and discussed earlier, which is a, a difficult strategy in a sense, because it, there is a very fine balance between encouraging the, uh, the young women in your classroom to speak and, and, and making them feel uncomfortable and pressured because you're putting them on the spot. So it's a, it's a difficult uh, balancing act that, uh, you know, we, we can never get it right, but I don't see a way around it. And then there is also the work to be done, not only with women, right, but also with men, because we have to remember that sometimes, at least, uh, I think one interesting insight from more radical strength uh, areas of feminism is that, uh, you know, in order for women to occupy more space, men have to occupy less space. And sometimes men are reluctant to occupy less space because it means giving up things, right? So we have to teach also men that, and, and to encourage them to, to give up some space, give up some space and, and do less. And I just want to give you an example we used to have in, in my uh, classroom. Uh, I got a men in particular uh, to do a debate. So we used to have debates on various issues. And one of the debates that uh, I um, asked men to do, and I specifically assigned men to, to that debate, is to put a man tax, uh, which basically taxed men in order, all the men in, in a, a country, this was an example of Sweden, but it put a tax on every single man in a country. And we get here, I want to bracket here the discussion that has to do with cis men and cis women. Okay, we, we, we leave that aside, but we assume everybody who, is, who identifies as a man pays a tax 
and the tax is collected and it, it's used to fund a, a domestic or shelters for uh, women victims of domestic abuse, right? And this was a fascinating, probably the most lively debate every year that I have witnessed because men started to realize the, the kind of systematic ways and systemic ways in which women were uh, suffering or uh, abuse in, 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 in society, and they never thought about it before, right? So it, it made me wonder, how is it that a 20-year-old person or a 21-year-old man never thought of, him, uh, of the possibility that when a, young, like a, when a young woman goes out at night, she thinks of her safety first. And this guy tells me, well, I always think about how am I going to get drunk home? Uh, will I have enough money to pay for a cab? It never occurred to me to think about safety. And actually, he told me, I, I always think of how am I not going to uh, accidentally become a, a parent by having un unprotected sex, literally. So I, I'm just mentioning this to give you an example of the, the different concerns that kind of animate and are at the back of men and women in an economics classroom uh, and how it's important for us not only to focus on the women, because see, women are not the problem here, in a sense. Women are, 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 are the, 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 their experiences are complicated and, and worsened by the systemic and structural factors that I'm describing. So we also have to work with young men to make sure that we create mechanisms through which they also transition into a society where they occupy less space than, they, than they're used to. That's really fascinating, Daniela, and the, the debate that you said that you set up. So I would love to, if you run it again, do let me know. I'd love to sit in on that. It's very interesting. Um, I actually so remember that debate. How, how was it, Amy, from your point of view, listening to um, it? I, yeah, I was listening to it. Luckily, I wasn't actually in the debate um, myself, but it was a very, in, this was like, oh, God, this was like four years ago now. So, um, but I do remember that everyone just went pin drop silent and everyone was listening so intently and it was um, the views that had come up, especially those who were against the man tax were quite interesting. It, it was definitely a fun debate. Brilliant. And it speaks volumes that you can remember that as well, like you said, you know, four years ago. And that's one of the lectures or one of the sessions that you remember. Um, so join, join to, a, to a conclusion now, but just thinking, um, Imi, maybe you first, do you have any advice to women or to any ethnic minority group who are entering this or, or economics, who are maybe feeling overwhelmed um, and underrepresented? Um, so the first thing I want to say is like, don't be too hard on yourself during your studies. Um, always put your exams first. Landing the graduate scheme that you wanted isn't the be all and end all. Um, I started my career off working at a small organisation and I felt that that gave me the space to work on my confidence and actually encouraged me to learn which way I wanted my career to go in. So the biggest advice I can give is focus on your exams, focus on your studies and don't put too much pressure on yourself of getting a job at a named bank or at an, you know none of that matters um, when you're first starting off your career when you first start off you're making connections um, and you're learning about exactly what you want to do and who you want to be um, and in addition to that I felt as though working in a smaller firm came with smaller expectations and I was able to network with senior members of staff uh, because the firm I worked in had quite a flat hierarchy so it's easier for me to approach directors in the team that I wanted to work in 
and I created relationships that have helped shaped my future in that sense. So, and sometimes if you go off and work at a graduate scheme or if you work at a big firm, you can be um, forgotten about and it's quite difficult to have a voice in a bigger firm. So definitely don't put pressure on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself and just enjoy your final year of uni university and go for any, any job that has any kind of relation to what you want to do and network, use LinkedIn, use university lecturers and use your classmates and everything will work out just like it had for me. I honestly thought in my last year of uni, what, where is my life going? And standing here today and talking, I would never have, man would never have imagined me being in this um, space. So yeah, everything kind of works out. <laughs> And it's lovely to have you here and for you to showcase that. So that's brilliant. Um, and the value you've placed on network and relationship building and building your own identity as well, starting out. So that, that's brilliant. Daniela, what about you? Have you got advice to those groups, perhaps? Well, uh, besides read the Financial Times every morning, uh, which is, I think, an important takeaway, I think I just want to echo what Timmy said. Uh, I think the the advice to read a lot, to think about your exams, to, to try to uh, view your studies and your university as a space where you learn to express yourself, where you learn to um, uh, communicate your ideas in a, in a coherent way, um, where you learn to engage with others, where you learn to write. I mean, all these are more important than chasing. Um, I mean, I, I have to say that I feel quite lucky that I don't have to chase uh, and to understand the kind of complex hierarchies of the labor market that uh, Amy just described. But I understand there is an, an, an that I have witnessed. There is an enormous amount of pressure uh, on uh, graduating students to, to get the, the right place, to have the right starting point. There is a, a certain stereotype about what the right the starting point is when you you you, you leave the university. Um, there are, but the the lesson that Imi uh, illustrates very powerfully is that there are many many ways to to start and to 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 move very quickly and to become successful. And the only thing that is required is, of course. <laughs> Uh, to read a lot. This is this is now. I wasn't going to say read the Financial Times every morning. No, uh, actually doing proper academic reading and and writing and and thinking through that and 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 going to your teachers and and asking for support if you feel overwhelmed and and making sure that you get the kind of support that helps you become a a better in a sense improve your 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 uh, student experience. But I'm not talking about uh, this uh, sort of lame interpretation of student experience that has to do with buildings but uh, or or bars or or different spaces but your your experience as somebody who has a a time to think to write and to uh, understand and then to to connect ideas and then to to take these ideas out into the world i i can't yeah i guess that's that's my advice and if things do not work out uh, you always uh, support the teacher strike or or go out in the street and protest as long as you're reading the Financial Times, it sounds like everything's going to be fine. So we'll just stick with that one. <laughs> so did either of you have any sort of final thoughts or any, um, I don't know, takeaways that you wanted to, to, to share? Um, I just wanted to reiterate what Daniela just said. I overlooked how important reading was at university and it has been my saviour 
since leaving. I learn so much about anything through reading and I think every everyone should at least try and learn and pick up the habit of reading a little bit every every week every month um, on any topic that they're interested in and then that will create curiosity in other topics and also reach out to university lecturers like the first two years I didn't reach out to anyone and in my final year when I started reaching out I realized how much support was actually available and it I, I genuinely thought I was going to fail university and I came out with just under a first so yeah so reach out <laughs> congratulations to you and me um and yeah yeah again a powerful message around networking and just um you know uh, conversations communication relationships so thank you so much to both of you for joining us today it's been really really fascinating talking to you um we're gonna share the podcast uh, far and wide and um yeah it would be lovely to catch up with you maybe again at some point in the future Imi, and, and find out how you're doing and maybe you know you'll be one of those people that we're uh, reaching out to who's a high flyer and, and one of those senior leaders that somebody else describes as them um, as magnificent so thank you both for your time really really great to speak to you thanks for listening if you'd like to be part of a future impact podcast or would like to comment on anything we've discussed please do email us at fbl.news at uwe.ac.uk or search Bristol Business School or Bristol Law School on Twitter.